0: Welcome to the latest edition of our Consumer Duty podcast series. I'm Sarah Cody, counsel in Linklater's financial regulation practice in London, focusing on contentious regulatory work.
1: And I'm Ratha Naeem. I'm also a counsel in the same team as Sarah, focusing more on the financial regulation side. So last month, some of you may have caught our podcast outlining the FCS proposals for a new consumer duty and considering specifically how this might impact asset managers. So we're
0: back now with a second edition because in early December, the FCA published another consultation paper on the proposed duty. This contained a response to feedback from the first consultation and the draft rules and guidance needed to actually bring this new duty into effect.
1: We've also actually published a companion podcast to this one, looking at the second iteration of these proposals in more general terms. So we're not going to cover the same material here, but I'm sure it's a very exciting podcast for you to listen to add to your list.
0: It absolutely is, Raza. And if you're interested, you can find this on our consumer duty campaign page on linklatus.com or from wherever you've accessed this podcast today. But for now, we are going to dive straight into three key points of interest for asset managers arising out of this second consultation. And then we're going to finish with some thoughts on issues that you might want to address in any response that you decide to submit to the second consultation paper. So, Raza, I think we should start with scope. Where has the FCA landed in terms of where this new duty is actually going to apply?
1: This is quite interesting, actually, because I think the scope is actually in some ways incredibly, incredibly broad. So the proposed duty will apply for either services or products are sold marketed recommended offered or provided to retail customers and the important thing to note is that although it says retail customers and you might think uk retail customers the scope isn't limited to uk retail only rather any activities you do or your firm does with non-UK customers will also be caught if other rules regulating that activity have a broader territorial scope. So my favorite example is the UK MIFID 2 rules, and they apply to a UK firm when dealing with UK, non-UK clients. So like best execution requirements, disclosure requirements, all of them apply. So accordingly, any MIFID business conducted with non-UK retail clients from the UK entity will also be in scope.
0: Now, following feedback, the FCA has chosen a formulation of the duty, which is based on outcomes rather than best interests. um, And this was our preferred option. So firms will be obliged to act to deliver good outcomes for retail clients. And where the duty applies, the current principles six and seven, which are the two that deal with treating customers fairly and client communications, will be disapplied, although they will still apply in other contexts. Now, this will possibly introduce a few complications in practice as where the duty does not apply. So, for example, your wholesale business, different standards will end up applying. And in practice, we expect that firms with retail and wholesale business activities will probably just apply the stricter approach. Now, although many asset managers don't actually have a direct relationship with consumers, you will recall that the duty doesn't just apply to firms with that direct relationship with customers. It's intended to apply along the distribution chain to any firm that can, through its regulated activities, influence the outcomes enjoyed by a retail consumer. So that's a much broader application than the current principle six and principle seven.
1: That's right. So even if the firm itself does not deal directly with retail investors, if it can influence material aspects of the design, the target market, or the performance of a retail financial services product or service, it will be in scope. So the greater your firm's ability to, through its activities, business generally influence customer outcomes, the greater the amount of their activities that the consumer duty will cover. And I suspect the product aspect will in some ways be quite familiar to those listening in because of the MIFID II product governance rules, which operate in quite a similar manner. But the concept of a distribution chain in the services context is quite interesting, as often many asset management wholesale businesses will collaborate with, say, retail advisors, retail distributors, model platforms, and so on in service offerings. And even though you don't, technically speaking, have, like, say, a financial instrument, the services aspect would bring you in and you would, therefore, inadvertently be caught And
0: there are some exclusions, aren't
1: there? Yes, exactly. Actually, that's worth spending some time on that because the duty will firstly not apply to any activities that involve the issuance of non-complex financial instruments, And the important thing to note here is that non-complex for these purposes is not the same definition as the MIFID II non-complex definition. Really, it's limited to vanilla shares and bonds that are listed on a UK exchange. The duty will also not apply to non-retail financial instruments. And these are products that are intended for the wholesale markets only and for which specific conditions have been complied with regarding, say, how they're marketed, proper disclaimers being in place saying they can't be sold to retail and so on. Then additionally, the duty will not apply to unregulated activities unless they are ancillary to or carried out in connection with regulated activities, which I think will probably capture most of your business. So in some ways, this exemption may not be that useful.
0: So I feel like that still leaves a lot of the business of most asset managers that's potentially in scope of this new duty.
1: Yes, completely. And I think there's some really interesting questions about how that relationship with distributors and others in the chain is intended to work. Because if I think back to, say, the current product governance rules, the discussions I've had with many, many asset managers always tend to be, it's very difficult to get any sort of reasonable data from distributors or information about sales, target market, and so on. And often what they get back is not very useful in many senses. So for this to be quite important within this and fundamental part of the duty, I think will end up exacerbating that problem.
0: Okay, well, that brings us, I think, to our second point, which is how is this going to work and apply along the distribution chain? Just picking up on what you said there, Raza, the, the latest consultation paper gives a, a sort of neat example of how the GT might apply to the manufacturer and distributor of an investment product involving a fund manager, a platform provider and a financial advisor all of these firms would have to act to deliver good outcomes for consumers. And each would have a role to help avoid foreseeable harm and to ensure that the final product helps customers realize their financial objectives. Each firm must also act in good faith. And depending on their role, some of the four outcomes would also be relevant.
1: And outside of that, things become more granular. So with a manager looking at target market, distribution strategy and fair value, and the distributor being obliged to ensure that they get sufficient information from the manufacturer about the target market and value to ensure that they then develop an appropriate distribution strategy. And it's, again, quite similar to the MIFID-2 product governance regime, whereby you have the manufacturer setting like a broad target market, the distributor then setting a more tailored target market and distribution strategy and so on. And the role really is the advisor must focus on the needs of the target market, communications, and fair value, which we should definitely focus on in a bit. The advisors also like to have a focus on the outcomes for individual customers to whom it gives advice.
0: And just picking up on what you said earlier about the information that firms tend to get back at the moment from distributors, under the duty and and the rules bringing it into force, distributors will have an obligation to provide relevant sales information, including information on the regular reviews of their distribution arrangements.
1: Yeah. And again, in many ways, this will be quite familiar to those in the prod world today less so in the services context we mentioned earlier that's an important one to be mindful of and it as i mentioned exacerbates many of the issues today in terms of getting proper data and so on but the expectation really is that there should be lots of monitoring and testing going on on a continuous basis so that you have information flows going up and down the distribution chain And there are real questions about how this will work in practice and actually where you draw the line. We mentioned a few times about the difficulty in getting this information from distributors. If you think about the fact that actually UK firms would be caught when distributing to overseas investors, trying to get this information from overseas distributors, which again, I guess firms will be familiar with in the prod context, but it is still quite challenging. And then if you expand that to cover services, that makes life even more complicated And there are difficult questions here in terms of apportionment of risk. But I think stepping back as well, thinking about the range of products that are captured as well, because it's not just, say, your retail designed usage funds or money market funds and so on that are authorized funds that can be sold to the mass retail market. If you're selling any fund to a retail investor, be it a private equity fund or a private fund then this effectively, this regime would kick in. And the problem is that this regime is very much written with the mass retail products market in mind when the funds market and the asset management industry is incredibly broad. And the amount of services, the solutions, the strategies that are covered, I'm not sure the regulators have thought through all of that in this context. Yeah,
0: I think you're right, Rosa. I think there are real questions about how this applies to to firms that aren't used to or traditionally sort of facing off against retail consumers on a on a regular basis. And I think, you know, one thing that would be really useful in terms of when we get the final rules and the final guidance and and the response to this consultation is if the FCA can I think put this in context for sectors like asset managers and, and give more clarity as to exactly how it it sees this working in this particular context. So the last point of our three was cross-border transactions, which I think we sort of hinted at earlier, but this is a topic that wasn't covered at all in the initial consultation. So it's quite useful, I think, that the SDA have engaged on this more directly. So in terms of extraterritoriality... The rules will only apply if the firm in question is conducting regulated activities in the UK and is regulated by the FCA. So that means it's either an FCA or PRA regulated firm or it's accessing the UK under the temporary permissions regime and it does this via a UK branch or from an offshore on a cross border services basis.
1: Thanks, Sarah. And actually, what I think the listener will be interested in is that overseas funds marketed into the UK under the temporary permissions marketing regime are also in scope on a limited basis. And it's unclear whether the overseas funds regime, which will eventually replace the temporary permissions marketing regime, will be covered by these proposals, but our expectation is that they probably will be because the temporary permissions marketing regime is really just a precursor to the overseas funds regime. But in any case, I think even if you were to try and get out of this regime for your overseas funds, in practice, your UK distributors will, in any case, contractually oblige you to comply with the bulk of these requirements to ensure that they can meet their own regulatory obligations, and again, this is something probably that people are quite familiar with in the MIFID or governance regime context, but again, it's it's probably going to play out interestingly in the services context as well.
0: Yeah, and I think this is made even more likely by the fact that where a distributor subject to the duty sells products manufactured by a firm that's outside of the scope of the duty, so for example, because it's based abroad, then that distributor will be obliged to take all reasonable steps to comply with its obligations under the consumer duty. Now, that's actually a high standard and it's higher than you see under the rest of the duty, which only obliges firms to take reasonable steps. So the there was, um, in the cross-cutting rules in the initial consultation, there was an obligation Firms would take all reasonable steps to fulfill the obligations there. So that's the good faith and avoiding harm, etc. But I think it's interesting that, that this all reasonable steps duty still sits in this space where the distributor is and where they're dealing with products that have been manufactured outside of the duty. I'd be interested to see if there's feedback on that actually and whether that survives into the final draft of the rules. But I think, it, you know, as you say, it does make it more likely that firms outside of the scope of the duty and firms manufacturing products to be sold into the UK will have to, by implication, just change the standards to which they work if they want to be able to sell here.
1: So I think we said we'd finish by talking about what you should be doing in terms of thinking about next steps as you prepare for this duty. But actually, in terms of the consultation, Sarah, how might firms want to engage with the FCA on this second consultation?
0: It's a very really interesting one, Raza. I mean, the FCA use a lot of words here, 243 pages worth of words, in fact. But I'm not left with any sense of what the issues are in the asset management space that the consumer duty is going to solve. And I think that makes it really difficult for firms to prepare and to engage on this because there's not a lot of context for the problems that they need to act to address.
1: And you'll see that with the references to prod. So the FCA is saying that compliance with prod will be taken as evidence of compliance with the new duty, but then goes on to warn firms the duty is broader. So complying with prod alone won't be enough. But then if the duty imposes a higher standard across the board, then in reality, it seems like firms potentially have to comply with. A prod max-like regime in terms of the dial being shifted higher across the board, and again, trying to make a distinction between when a higher standard applies or doesn't apply would be quite difficult because in many cases, asset managers say have a single product governance committee or a single product governance framework that comes together with the same people thinking about all products consistently. And from their perspective, I suspect it probably be easier to apply one coherent set of standards. And going on with that theme, I guess the application of the new rules to back books and closed products is also something which firms should think about closely. And maybe you might want to respond to that as well. Because the rule really is that closed-ended products, for example, closed-ended funds are in scope, but only in respect of certain aspects of the regime. So stuff about setting a distribution strategy or target market won't be relevant because the product has now closed, it's no longer being offered. But you are still expected to review the design and the features of those products if you are concerned that they might not be compliant with the consumer duty. And the difficulty with that sort of approach is that in many cases, those products will now be closed in terms of the design features, remuneration features, and so on. As well, so to try and go and revisit that will be quite difficult, and and there's a real risk of retrospectivity here.
0: And I think just to pick up on you said earlier about you know fair value and that being you know that is a specific issue that the FCA has targeted already in the asset management space. You have your own rules. There's obviously now one of the four objectives will be to look at price and value and to ensure that that products still. Remain, you know, good value relative to the the benefits that they bring to consumers, and I, you see the FCA doing the same thing as it's done with prod, so saying, well, that's fine if you comply with your sector specific fair value rules, then that's fine, you you've complied with that part of the duty, but again, you've got this issue of well, yes and and no in the sense that. Is the duty just going to change the way that we look at everything in this context and, and move the obligations higher across the board? And I think it would be good to get just some more considered and thoughtful feedback from the FCA on, on exactly where the dial sits in terms of these pieces where they've already acted and, and intervened in the market.
1: I completely agree, Sarah.
0: So that review of backbooks and closed products is going to involve a significant amount of work and actually could take, depending on the product, a really extended period of time, particularly when you're contacting customers who, you know, you haven't spoken to for a while because it's a closed product and where that ongoing relationship isn't necessarily very close. So given that, I think the fact that there's an implementation period, which is only nine months long, is really quite unrealistic. And I would really encourage you to think about how long this will take to implement for your organisation and feed that figure back to the FCA, because I think it's important that they hear honest voices from firms about realistically how long this is going to take to implement.
1: So I think that's all we have time for today. If you are interested in reading more or listening to more podcasts, then on linkholders.com, you can find a consumer duty campaign page, which includes uh, infographics and a range of other podcasts and publications concerning aspects of proposed consumer duty. And please do remember to share and subscribe to this podcast feed for more insights from us. Thank you for listening and goodbye.